Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. You know, I was going to start the show by saying happy Monday, but it's actually a Tuesday. We were not with you guys yesterday for uh, that President's Day holiday, but we are back in action and live from Seahawks headquarters of Virginia Mason Athletic Center. Bump, why are we at Seahawks headquarters today? We are here, Stacy, because we have the privilege um, in interviewing the new offensive coordinator for your Seattle Seahawks, Ryan Grubb. And uh, when you uh, get a chance to interview the OC, the DC, the head coach, you bring your butt to VMAC. Exactly. You get out here and you do it. And so um, I solicited some questions from listeners yesterday on X.com. But if you guys have a few more that you want to send in, things you're most curious to learn about from new Seahawks OC, Ryan Grubb, 866 nine three seven seven six i got a lot of great questions on here bump i also got questions that i'm not going to ask one <laughs> one person responded when i said what do you guys want to ask brian grubb and said nothing stacy which i laughed out loud when i saw that i don't know i reminded me of like being mad at my mom when i was little i laughed uh and then another one was um was uh I, guys i i hate to let you know we're not going to ask ryan grubb how soon he knew kaylin DeBoer was going to bama that's just <laughs> simply not not Sorry. water that i want to wade <laughs> <laughs> Not water I want to wait into. When did you know? When did you know? Was it the bye know? week? <laughs> uh, I am, though, uh, Bump, curious to learn so much about, you know, his offensive philosophy, how aggressive he wants to be, how he sees certain positions on the offense. For instance, we just had an offensive coordinator with a background as a tight ends coach who used tight ends in a way that we hadn't seen for some time with this offense. You got a couple tight ends hitting free agency. Are you going to see the same, you know, focus on that position group moving forward? I don't know. I mean, lots of questions. We do know already how other people feel about Ryan Grubb, though. So we'll go to cut number one. This is Seahawks head coach Mike McDonald on why they chose Ryan Grubb as OC. Been on, you know, been on my radar watching, you know, his teams perform uh, throughout the season and uh, obviously thinking that a you know, situation like this might come about. And then uh, I was getting to know him throughout the process and the type of guy he is. And, you know, he's, he's been a winner everywhere he's been. And I just think it speaks to his, his uh, football character and things that him and Kalen have done over time. Everywhere they've gone, they've really rebuilt the culture where they've been and, and they've won immediately. Having that type of growth mindset, being able to adapt to the players that he has in, this, in his scheme. And I just, I just respect about, you know, what his offense looks like. You know, I will say I loved what his offense looked like with Washington bump, and I don't have to say it because you heard me say it a million times and you heard Huskies fans say it a million times. It was night and day when that coaching staff took over offensively. Yeah, it was, and um, John points out that he likes that they can build culture, right? When you have stopped in as many places as DeBoer and uh, Grubb have in a short amount of time, that's not a knock. That's actually a compliment. Mm -hmm. Then that means that what they're doing works, and it doesn't matter the environment that they're in, whether they're at Sioux Falls or they're at Fresno State. They bring something and an approach to building culture and offenses that works. So that's why you've seen the climb so quickly. So, yeah, I'm interested in that. Like, well, how does he see his offense translating to the NFL? We've mentioned this before that um, the the uh, the games resemble each other more closely now than ever. When you talk about college 
in the NFL, but there still are some, there still are some differences. And Grubb has been uh, watching film, I'm sure. He's been breaking things down, learning the NFL game. He's probably been already doing that while he was at UW because when you're a football guy, you're just a football guy, and you love breaking down film. Uh, so, yeah, man, their track record has been great. This, the climb has been awesome of Ryan Grubb. I'm glad that he's here. And uh, I just want to see what he thinks about this roster and how his offense fits and what changes he might make. Obviously, he's not going to tell us, well, when I see this front and this mm. down the distance, this is what I'm thinking. No, uh, not the specifics, but uh, just a, a general overview of how he sees the NFL game and how he sees his offense fitting in this game. It's going to be interesting, man, because you got, he has a lot to work with. You got a veteran quarterback, good receivers. All O-line could use some tweaking. We'll see what he does there, but lots of weapons. Do you think that we're all making too much of the transition from NCAA to NFL? No. It's a concern, right? It's like if a high school coach was going to NCAA, NCAA to NFL. Now, I think this is the moment in time in football where the transition can happen more easily. I think back in the day when in, uh, the high school game, especially in Washington, was stuck with a wing tee. You know how I didn't even – when, how I, dare when you? I was in it, when I was in high how school in California, you? I saw one wing T offense, <laughs> and I was in the early 2000s. I get up here and I go, "This is just a thing up here, huh?" You know, yeah. you got Tumwater down south, I, I believe the 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 school, and Shout then out you got Bellevue up here doing it, and, and other schools. Um, so it's different now because um, players are training at, at a different rate now. I think um, the players are a lot smarter now than they were back in my day, obviously because of resources. And just the understanding, like, you can find, like, receivers are a dime a dozen. You can find yourself a slot receiver, an outside guy on every level. And I think we're seeing just the way the game has spread out over the past few years that um, it's catching on, man. So, um, yeah, there is there is going to be some type of chain transition. I think we ask that question fairly, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure he'll have an answer for it. Uh, cut number three, Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network analyst, was asked a similar question about the adjustment for Ryan Grubb from college to the pro level. Here's what he had to say yeah i think there'll be some subtle adjustments every coach that either goes to the nfl or comes from the nfl in my experience references the hash marks and it just being you know it takes a minute just to get used to usually it's a lot more challenging going to college versus going to the nfl for obvious reasons just based on the width when you get to college so i would never say it's going to be seamless and he's not going to skip a beat i mean he's going to a place that is the pinnacle of the profession so you know no i won't it won't be as easy as Maybe it looked at UW at times, but knowing him and the way that he works and his personality and the staff that they're going to have and what they'll add to, I think that he's going to be very successful. Now, you already pointed to the personnel, so this is kind of echoing a point you already made, but it's a good point to make and to focus on again because it's not like uh, Bryce Young getting drafted number one overall and going to Carolina where, quite honestly, the wide receiver group at Washington was better than the wide receiver group at Carolina. Like. Mm. Ryan Grubb is coming to an NFL with an NFL caliber offense, like with guys that are ready to go. And we can, as Seahawks fans and have as Seahawks fans, looked at the offense, whether it's the offensive line, um, you know, whether it's health, you know, whatever it is, and gone, I wish this was better. But he's inheriting a pretty decent group. Yeah, you're right. He's not inheriting uh, the Carolina Panthers, who was the worst offense. He's not even going to to New England third worst, the Giants fourth, Tennessee fifth, Vegas sixth. You are dealing with a team that's around the middle. Now, when you look at the offensive production by the Seattle Seahawks, I think it's fair to say that you could say they underachieved a bit because we saw what they did last year. Absolutely. And we felt like they can take take a couple of steps forward. They did not do that. But I don't think it's 
primarily because of the personnel. I think injuries has something to do with it. I think uh, play calling has something to do with it. And, and a whole bunch of other things that we don't know about because we're not in VMAC. So he has an opportunity here. I know when you look at who the Seahawks were last year, you can point at um, all their shortcomings and say, oh, this is going to be tough for him. It's going to be tough regardless. This is a new job here in the NFL. But I guarantee you Grubb is looking at this personnel and saying, look, I go from three – NFL caliber receivers to three, one of the best trios in the NFL when it comes to receiver. I go from a a, uh, a pocket passer and Michael Penix Jr., who they kind of let loose towards the end of the season as far as run options, run options and all that, to a pocket passer in Geno, who could do some of the things that Michael Penix has done. So, um, no, this is a good situation, and uh, I think if it wasn't a good situation, he'd be in Alabama right now. But he sees enough here. He sees the, the, the vision of Mike McDonald, the guys that he's hiring before he got here, and he thinks it's a good situation, and he's already here. The family's already here. I think that's a big point, too. I know it's about football and X's and O's and personnel or whatnot, but you got to look at the family, too, man. I mean, no man who is married makes any major decisions without talking to his wife and including her in this whole deal. So wifey gave him the green light. Personnel gave him the green light. You're already here. You got personnel. It's a good situation. I'm not married. Uh, you and Curtis are. And uh, I also would be the decision maker. Have you guys ever made a decision, not told your wives, and then found out the hard way that that decision wasn't going to be happening? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Not all the time, but I've done it before. Um, most of my decision making without the wifey is uh, planning my golf trips. She'd be so like, uh, like hey. actually, uh, we have a tournament in Georgia that weekend. You're not going to that tournament. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You think you're playing that golf trip because you're not. Yeah. Curtis, have you ever done that? Uh, yeah, I, I've done that uh, where it, it happens f not as frequently, but like, let's say another radio station or like a somebody who hosts a podcast wants to have me on as a guest to do like a little 10, 15 minute hit. <laughs> And sometimes they'll ask me to do it like during either the time we're getting ready for bed with the girls or like trying to make dinner. And every now and then, whenever I'm like, yeah, I got a phone call at, at six. And she's like, excuse you me? <laughs> like, that's that's when I need you the most. Yeah, and then I'm you like, don't, oh, actually. you're right. I did not think that through at all. Uh, <laughs> my mistake. That's that's Ryan Grubb. Ryan Grubb, uh, you know, that, that decision was made as a family, I would imagine, to, to stay here in Seattle. <laughs> I'm excited to learn more about Ryan Grubb. Again, the new Seahawks OC is going to join us at 11. There are some X's and O's questions bump that people have sent in. Um, and I want to try to include what we can at the end. I just don't know how much of it he's actually going to answer. So, like, you know, when it comes to blocking schemes, for instance, it's a really fair question about, you know, how this team is going to move forward. I wonder if for this coaching staff, the big questions they're having are philosophical right now. Who do we want to be? What kind of team do we want to be? Let's get to know people. Let's figure out what we've got to work with. Um, I think that as we kind of get deeper into the offseason, we'll have those questions about, like, you know, how do you want to use this player? But I don't know that Ryan Grubb knows yet. I think he does. I think he has an idea at least. I think that um, it's not like Ryan Grubb is going to come here and change who he's been over the past, what, four to five seasons. Um, so I think he has an approach, right? At least you go into a situation with a plan, right? Okay, this is what I think 
this team could be, but then what happens? You, you get to know your players, you get to know your quarterback, um, you get into the film room, you see what they're good at and what they're not good at, and you kind of adjust your offense to what your personnel is, mm-hmm. but you're fun- fundamentally you're still going to be the same, but you tweak things here or there. So I think he, he has great ideas in saying, oh, I can't imagine to, to get DK out there and see him run this route or to talk to Geno about this progression and what he sees on defense, but all he's going to do is collect that data and say, okay, how can I make my offense fit what I have right here? And I, I said this last week, Grubb's offense is more versatile than people think. There's 10 personnel, 11, 12, 13. They can run the football. They'll throw it down the field. They're good with their screens, at least at UW they were. You look at a Ryan Grubb offense, and you see a little bit of everything. You see zone runs. You see gap scheme. And I think that's what excites me the most is because because of the variety in his offense, you look at his personnel over here with, with DK and the rest of the gang, and you say, all right, He's going to be able to utilize everybody, whether it be the tight ends, the wide receivers, the running backs, the QB. He's done enough in his offense to where it feels like um, whatever the personnel gives him Mm -hmm. mentally and physically, he'll be able to adjust his offense to. All right. What we want to know about Ryan Grubb, that's what we've been talking about to start the show. The reason, because Bump and I are live from Seahawks headquarters at Virginia Mason Athletic Center and new Seahawks OC, Ryan Grubb is going to join us in less than an hour where we're going to throw him a lot of these questions. You guys have sent in a few of yours to the Mac and Jack's text line. Obviously, we all want to know about the transition from Washington to the pros and what he's anticipating. But you guys have some other questions, like how he sees ways to maximize Drew Locke or Geno Smith, whether uh, you know he has a different idea of quarterbacks that he'd love to work with, um, how he feels about different uh, positional groups, whether it's tight ends, whether it's running backs, things like that. So lots of good questions. We'll throw that Ryan's way right now. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline Rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Someone just, by the way, uh, I apologize for my voice. I'm getting over a cold. I'm not currently sick. Uh, but someone was saying, Does, is Stacy ill? Uh, this sounds like Tracy on air. And then someone, <laughs> <laughs> someone else said um, she needs more bumps meds because bump on Friday yeah. was kind enough to give me some allergy medication, even though you said take a couple, so I took a couple. <laughs> I did not say take a couple. <laughs> and you said apparently it was, you're supposed to take one pill every 24 hours. It was an interesting show. <laughs> but you made it home. Which I made it home fine. Nice I was fine. I, yeah. Headline number one, Cougs are ranked in the AP poll for the first time since 2008 after sweeping oh. Cal and Stanford over the weekend. What's the real headline? Their drought was old enough to start looking at colleges. <laughs> Let's go, Cougs. 2008, that was my last year in school over there, my second semester. Um, they've been balling, man. Won 10 out of their last 11, and they're doing it in Coug fashion allowing 66 points per game. That's second in the Pac-12, out-rebounding dude, second in the Pac-12, first when it comes to assists. This is a very WSU-like team. You don't really have any superstars, right? No one who's going to be drafted in, in the first, second, third. Maybe not at all, right? We don't have a Clay Thompson on this team, but you're doing it by playing some team basketball, and they do a great job taking care of the football, excuse me, the basketball when it comes to turnovers, only averaging 10 per game, like second or third best in the Pac-12. They're a dangerous team, man. You've beaten them. Then number eight, Arizona, once. You got them coming up um, here on Thursday. So, well, look. I mean, you can afford a couple of losses, but they cannot be blowouts. At this point, man, you just hang in there and get to the dance for the last time in uh, in Pac-12 history, man. I love what the Cougs are doing. 
Headline rewrites. Headline number two, the NBA All-Star Game was defense optional as the Eastern Conference beat the West 211 to 186. What's the real headline? It was also watching optional, too. Um, This was uh, the highest scoring uh, combined All-Star Game. I listened to an interesting um, interview. It was for the ESPN's Daily uh, podcast uh, with uh, Brian Winhurst talking about kind of like the de-evolution of the All-Star Game and how it's just become unwatchable for a lot of people. Um, I liked watching uh, the event itself. I mean, like, slam dunk contest, the three-point shootout between uh, Sabrina and Steph. Like, all that was... Slam dunk was horrible. <laughs> slam dunk was horrible. It was horrible. Um, I enjoyed watching Sabrina and Steph, uh, even though the commentary was wild. Yeah, it was, Kenny was... Uh, Kenny was Kenny out of was pocket. Tripping. He was he out was of tripping. pocket. I didn't... I don't know that I found it deeply, deeply offensive so much as, like, why are you... He- why are you here then? It doesn't sound like you're enjoying this contest. It doesn't sound like you have like a ton to offer right now. Like yeah. you're kind of grumpy. Yeah, he was a grumpy old man. He was saying, uh, well, you know, well, he did make up one point for Sabrina was that she was shooting from the NBA three. She should be able to shoot from the WNBA three. But Sabrina, from what I know of Sabrina, she went all the smoke. Go ahead and line up where, where the shooters shoot in the NBA. Uh, but, but Kenny. Well, she did great. She got 26. Yeah, she balled out. She did, she did her thing. Uh, Kenny was tripping. I think um, maybe it was a long weekend. He was up all night. Didn't get a lot of sleep. I've done shows where I didn't get a lot of sleep, and my performance has not been the greatest. Sure. So I get him there. As far as the All-Star game goes, man, it was a joke. I'm so used to maybe the first three quarters where it being all fun and everyone just jacking up threes and alley-oops and all that. But traditionally in the fourth quarter, you start to buckle down and, and try to win this game. You cannot have 24 of the best NBA play, best players in the world out on the court, and they're not competitive in the fourth quarter? I mean, it's is this a generational thing or what? I remember just three or four years ago, it was going down. You had 65 May three-pointers between the two teams, only five free-throw attempts. Five free-throw attempts. That tells me in the fourth, they're not even getting to the rack. No one's playing defense. You even heard it in Adam Silver in his voice after the game when he handed over yeah. the winning trophy and MVP. He goes, I guess. Shame on it you. Was something. This, this, <laughs> it was this so- is yours. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I, I, I get taking care of each other, but these guys, you know what they're going to do? They're going to go to like uh, LA Fitness or, or any of these gyms during the offseason and play a lot harder than they did right now. You got to change incentive. Give, give these guys some money or something because that's in fact 211 points. If you're going to have on, zero man. defense, then have like a Harlem Globetrotter style performance where you're just going all out. You're trying to dunk all the time. It's just over like just showboating style offense because if you're just going to go out there and like shoot around like you're playing against you would play harder against each other if you were playing a pickup game yeah, at a gym. Yeah, like, sure. I truly believe it because these guys know each other. They're friends. You guys would be playing harder against each other if this was a random offseason game between friends. Yeah, what they should do is <laughs> they should make one NBA All-Star team make one college all-star team or G League team and let those teams go at it because I tell you one thing anybody who's playing the NBA all-stars they're gonna go 100 and if the NBA all-stars feel like they're in jeopardy of losing to a lesser team a G League or a college team Mm -hmm. they're gonna play hard this is the NBA players taking care of each other which I get but where's the killers man where are the competitors out there man it's sad to see when you got LeBron KD Steph Curry guys out there who have been a part of those type of games Headline rewrites. Headline number three, some daytime hockey yesterday. The Kraken fell 4-3 to three to the Red Wings in overtime. What's the real headline? Kraken are considering, we got a point. What more do you want? As 2024 <laughs> team slogan 
Seattle has Get off the, our bags. I know. Just let it let it go. Seattle has the most overtime losses of any team in the Western Conference. The Kings are second with 10. League-wide, the Islanders have 14. Yeah, the, the Kraken, they're, they're just a streaky team. What, 4-7-2 since their franchise record nine-game winning streak. Uh, Detroit's been balling since the, the new year in 2024. They're 12-4-1. They had a, an old Kraken sprung scored against uh, the Seattle Kraken. I mean, they're just an up-and-down type of team. They're streaky as heck, right? Decor's been doing the same, but you're going to need support when it comes to goal scoring. Um, McCann put two in the net. He has 24 goals on the season, 10 assists in the last 14 games. They'll show you a little bit, right? They outshot the uh, Detroit uh, Wings. I mean, it's – it's Red Wings, excuse me – Um. It's the inconsistency that kind of trips me up because you look at the stats and you say they're doing so many great things, but they're just not consistent. So um, again, I mean four seven and two in the last uh, in the last however many games, they show you some things that make you think they can turn it around. It needs to happen pretty quickly because after the All Star break, man, it starts to get tight. <laughs> Did you guys have a good three day weekend? By the way, I didn't even ask you. Uh, I'm being very yeah, I did. You know why? Because my kids didn't have any games. Oh, wow. there you no go. No one had a game. I'm like, thank goodness. So I took the boys out golfing on Saturday, hung out at the house. We're doing some renovations at the facility. Um, it, it was low key. We spent a lot of time at the house. Shower bench. Uno. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> play some Uno. Play some chess. Nice. You know, it, was, it was a good weekend. Nice Uno. Solid game. Uh, chess a little more difficult still solid Curtis how was your three-day weekend our three-day weekend was good I don't know if I talked about this last week on the show but on Thursday I think of last week Willa cut her own hair uh, that, <laughs> that happened She's, on purpose or like uh, yeah like she kind of got away yeah, from you guys she, with some scissors that's exactly what happened my okay. wife had a zoom call and I wasn't home and then Willa went in her bedroom and, and cut her own hair. So on Saturday, we got it fixed, and uh, she looks cute as ever. But that was a, a, a bit of a stressor heading into the weekend, but we got that taken That care feels of. like a peak child thing oh, to yeah. do, is to oh, be like, yeah. check it out. And you're like, oh, no. Well, I know, and she was so proud of herself for having cut her hair. And it's like, we weren't supposed to do that, sweetie pie. <laughs> Remember, we talked about yeah. this. We talked about not cutting our hair off. Man, if if you decide to have another child, Curtis, and it's a boy, beware. Because I will take a little little haircut over smearing your own poop oh. all over the team. Whoa. Dirty Whoa. boys. Whoa. Dirty boys. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The latest from Scott Service coming your way next. Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Well, it's raining outside, at least where we are at Seahawks headquarters in Renton, but it's spring training still. Guys already showing up. The latest from Scott Service from over the weekend. All sound is going to be from the Mariners press uh, department. So uh, let's see. I actually really want to start. I'm going to start halfway down these cuts because I love Scott Service's attitude when it comes to Mariners. Mariners fans. Um, and I think that uh, one thing I appreciate about him is he does something that I find it very hard to do, which is to kind of like absorb someone's anger and mm -hmm. be like, okay, like I have a really hard time doing that as a person. I think it's a very hard thing to do. Uh, and I appreciate about that from him. Uh, so we're going to start with cut eight. Um, Fans were understandably angry and frustrated and, and disappointed that this team didn't make the playoffs and felt very let down. Let's take a listen. Cut number I think eight. The expectations from our fans is justified. No issues with that. Everybody's frustrated at the end of the year. Our players, some of them commented. I was very frustrated. We 
we felt a lot, we let a lot of people down, and most importantly, we let ourselves down because I thought we had a playoff caliber team. Last year is over, and I've often said when you get to spring training, every team is different. I know some of the faces are the same. As some of our young players continue to mature, they're going to get better. Spent a lot of time, you know, with some guys this offseason and talking to them. And I, I talk about our core guys, you know, the JPs, the Julios, Cal, Logan, Rock. I mean, like those guys understand where we're at as, uh, as a team, what the expectations are, and they welcome it, and bring it on. But we got to get better. Feels like it's been the longest offseason on the planet. Like the 54% comment was this offseason. You know what I mean? Right. Like it feels like it has been. <laughs> years since the season ended um but it's because we've gone through kind of waves at first people were disappointed at the way things ended for the mariners then they were angry at the way that a season-ending press conference unfolded with jerry depoto mentioning the 54 percent comment then we get into you know people being upset with ownership for presumably you know giving jerry and justin hollander not as big a budget to work with so kind of pressures off those two Mm -hmm. and then people are mad at ownership and now we're at this point where pitchers and catchers are reporting position players are about to report and we've got like maybe a competitive team surprisingly more competitive than we thought yeah it's the circle of life and in sports right you go through all these emotions there's only one fan base at the end of the year that is completely satisfied with the results of the season that's the team that's holding up that piece of metal that ron um, described so beautifully uh (laughs) here's what i do like about that clip is that during this whole situation we hear from players Cal kind of frustrated with the roster. JP frustrated with the roster. JK goes to Atlanta. Boom, he's spilling the beans. We get Jerry DePoto. He makes his mistake with the 54%, but then we kind of understand where he's coming from as far as his budget. This whole time we're like, where my guy Scott at, man? How does he feel about this situation? I think that uh, this clip is exactly what I guess a fan like me uh, needed to hear is because it shows just the disappointment that he can be the, the emotional type guy in the situation and say, and describe the emotional part of this thing, right, from a guy connected to management. As far as DePoto, it's not his job to be emotional. It's his job to try to make decisions and better this team however way he feels is best, whether you agree with it or not. Service can come in and be like, look, of course we're disappointed. We thought we had a squad last year, right? We, we thought we are going to take the next step, but I'm looking at this roster now and feel like you can take that step. So there are there, there's a, a whole process that happens when it comes to um, – to analyzing during the season, postseason, and then getting ready for spring training. And I think um, whether, unless this team wins a World Series, we're probably going to go through the same cycle of emotions every single year. I mentioned that they're showing up to spring training with a roster that's surprisingly competitive considering kind of where we were back in the 54% mm-hmm. days. <laughs> uh, but it is a different <laughs> roster. It's a different kind of lineup. Cut number 10, Scott Service explaining here. I think you've seen by the adjustments we've made with you know, our position players um, on the offensive side, what their capabilities are. And again, we got to coach them up. We need to get better at certain things. We need to get better at two-strike hitting, you know? And, and I know our lineup is different. We should strike out a little bit less, put the ball in play a little bit more, but we still got to keep coaching it up, especially the young players that we have here. Because there's a lot of guys, you know, from, from Julio, Cal. <laughs> I mean, you, you go through, you know, even Ty is looking forward to making some adjustments in his game offensively. So, you know, you got young players like Rayleigh, Canzone in the mix here. So, and then, you know, we know what Mitch Hander can, Hander can do, you know, when he's out there on a regular basis. So um, we did address those things. I'm 
really fascinated about this. Uh, let's talk about just the position players. Uh, the lineup itself, it's got more experience, uh, presumably more contact as opposed to striking out, though guys like Rayleigh can still strike out. Uh, some health concerns that we're looking at, obviously, when you bring in a few more veterans. I like the approach to DH as having Garver as your go-to DH as opposed to like, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Maybe Haggerty will be our DH today. <laughs> I like the adjustments that have been made. We obviously are all still wondering if there's going to be true improvement once you kind of hit the ground running and once the season starts. But I'm intrigued by this group they have heading into spring training. I am too, because I feel like there's more certainty with who's going to be in the lineup. There's no, all right, maybe this guy, maybe this guy. I mean, at the beginning of this offseason, we had all those questions, and we're looking at the scenario and who's going to be where, and slowly but surely they start to slot guys in there, right? And he goes, look, this is a new team, but we still got to work on the things that we weren't great at. You assume that there are going to be less strikeouts when you just look at the numbers. You still got to go out there and do it. You assume this team could be better with two outs. You have to go out there and do it. You assume that when the bases are loaded and you only got one out or, or no outs, you're going to be able to drive and run in. You still got to go out there and do it. Because you, you have uh, presumably five new starters, doesn't necessarily mean that those things are automatically fixed. You still got to bring that to light and work on your philosophy in those situations. That's the beauty of the offseason is that you get to look at all the things that you were not great at, you failed at the previous year, and get to work on them right now when you're playing 160 plus games throughout a season you don't have the time like you're going to have during spring training to really focus on this type of stuff so this is where you build man and you got some some new faces to kind of help you build so with the new faces come new challenges because you got to learn new players but you still have to address the things that you weren't great at last year and he points that out but on paper this team looks better to me this year one of the things they were not great at was being consistent we saw uh, julio especially play godlike uh in august and it really fueled them to uh, being atop the AL West and giving us a ton of playoff hope and it was really fun to see how the season unfolded until they were out of it right until right. we were heartbroken but um, you needed that month because you were so inconsistent to start the year you had such a late start to the season I mean for a while you pointed this out last week Kelnick was like the only thing that was really going right for you inconsistency was the word that anyone would use to describe this offense and in cut number seven no surprise it's what service is watching for this year I hope more consistent I think that's the biggest thing and, and you talk to the people and we play such a long season and there's so many ups and downs and I think overall last year our offense was fine you know above league average in a number of areas ultimately it's about scoring runs and and we were okay there but the consistency of it it came like real hot streaks and then a lot of real cold streaks so hopefully we're more consistent um and take advantage of the awesome pitching that we have i if you uh, as a listener disagree with me that's totally fine like you know uh you know we all watch baseball and we all have opinions about it i do disagree with service that overall the offense was fine because mm -hmm. i think that you know a lot of what it's doing is kind of spinning the way that Jerry DePoto did to end the season where it's like, Oh, we were so great at getting runners in scoring position. Okay. Well then what happened? Yeah. Like this offense, if they were able to, you know, get home runs or like, you know, uh, to, to really tap into that power and not strike out, they'd be great. Yeah. Fantastic. In part because they have excellent pitching when they couldn't do that. They really struggled and it got really ugly at times. I'm talking like, you know, one hit allowed by your starter and you know, you're down to nothing. <laughs> Yeah, um, they had a tough time getting going early, the, the early innings, right? I believe at one point in the like the middle of the game, they were pretty solid towards the end of the game. They would have 
um, advantageous situations with runners in scoring position and weren't able to do it. So consistency to me means you ain't got to come out the gate super hot in the first few innings, but you're not just falling so far behind or you're not um, just getting guys on base. Or you, you have to be able to produce innings uh, uh, well, one through nine, right? You can't just wait to the middle and then try to get lucky in the end. You're just not built that way. You don't have the star power for that. There are some teams that have lineups that say, look, just hang around, and towards the end of the game, we're paying this guy X amount of dollars because he has a history of coming through clutch. That's just not what this team has been. So um, consistency, I love it, right? Just you don't got to start the game with five, six runs in the first inning. I get that. That would be nice, um, but it's not It's not realistic. Consistency to me means uh, just taking advantage of situations where you should be able to produce runs. And more often, well, we didn't see that enough last year. You mentioned runners in score position. How many times did we see the bases loaded with one outs nothing. or no outs, and you get nothing out of that? That should be guaranteed runs right there. So, um, yeah, you get into positions where you should score, let's just score. I'm having flashbacks to that series against the Nationals. Like, you know when the season ended and there were all series that we look back on and we thought, like, this is the one that's sticking with me? Mm-hmm. That was one of them to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has that one or two series from last year where you go back mm-hmm. and you go, oh, leaving runners stranded yeah. makes me think of that. I series. remember I think the Nationals weren't playing well and they came to uh, to Seattle and just mocked us. That's the one that sticks out to me the most. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Ryan Grubb, new Seahawks OC, going to join us in 15 minutes before we get to that. Two signs that are pointing to a potential rookie quarterback and two that aren't. Bump and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Two signs pointing to a potential rookie quarterback for the Seahawks, and of course, two that aren't. You know why? Because we have no idea what the Seahawks are going to do this offseason. None whatsoever. I mean, we can make our guesses whether it's with quarterback or not. I think that they will probably either restructure Jamal's deal or move on. Maybe they don't. Um, Right now we're talking about not safety, about quarterback, and we're trying to use context clues to figure out what they might do. Um, But we're also going to get you guys set up with both sides of the argument. For instance, one sign pointing to a potential new rookie quarterback could be the new quarterback coach, Charles London, so that you guys know there's a new quarterback coach in Seattle now. He's coached rookie quarterbacks in 2022, Desmond Ritter, and in 2023 with Will Levis. I don't know. I mean, might they like his experience in coaching up rookies? I think for the reason you think there might be a rookie quarterback makes me believe that there won't be a rookie quarterback. I think they're looking at Charles London. Obviously, he has to be good on the board. He's been a running backs coach and a quarterback coach. He can... He can run the backfield as far as quarterback and running back protection and all that stuff and set all that up. But I look at Desmond Ritter and Will Levis, Mm -hmm. and I go, they're looking at that situation and and saying, look, you did a lot with a little. Um, Desmond Ritter was a kind of a shot in the dark type of type of pick. Obviously, him in Cincinnati did great things when he was over there. Mobile quarterback just hasn't translated to the NFL, but they did enough to survive over there, especially with all the weapons that you have in Atlanta. And then you look at Will Levis. The Tennessee Titans were Derrick Henry's team. We're going to run the football. The draft pick in Traylon Burks hasn't really worked out, but Will Levis has been a surprise. And there are games where he looked like the future franchise quarterback over there in Tennessee. I think they're looking at that situation the same. If you can tread water in ATL, get the most out of Will Levis, imagine what you can do with a veteran quarterback in Geno Smith, a guy who's been around the block several times. He's been a pro bowler. He has game-winning drives. 
you're going to he's not going to have to coach and teach a lot of the things that he had to do the past two years with um, Desmond Ritter and Will Levis. So I'm, I'm going the complete opposite. I look okay. at this and I go, all right, man, they're like, all right, we, we like what you did there. Let's see what you do here. And you're going to be supported by a, a young, great staff. A reason pointing to them not taking a new quarterback. How about in cut 21? This was John Schneider. Now, it's not necessarily unprompted that he's talking about, you know, which guys are his and which guys aren't because the conversation is about, hey, you're going to have full control over the draft now, and that's going to be kind of interesting. But take a listen to some of the names he brings up. Cut 21. We always shared that duty. We never we never felt like, okay, you know, it's my guy or your guy. You know what I mean? Like, that, that was never... You know, it, 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 it's never, it was never like that. I heard something this morning where it was like, I, f- I think, forget what I was listening to. And we were like, well, you know, Gino was, was really Pete's guy or something. Like, nah, nah. Every time they come in the building, they're our guy. Like, that was, that's never a, that's never been an issue, and I don't see that going forward at all. You know, at the end of the day, you, you, you do have to, like, make a decision. And so Pete was, you, you know, while I understand what you're saying, like, from a contractual standpoint, yes. Now the book, yes. You're right. And the difference there really truly is like, okay, well, you know, are we still making the best decision for this for the Seahawks? And that's like that's what guides us all the time. God, John, I'm trying to talk. Uh, (laughs) You don't have to bring up Geno Smith there. Like Mm -hmm. the reason I bring this up is not to say, hey, let's get into this big conversation about, you know, who was responsible for what what picks, which is an interesting conversation. But John is bringing up very intentionally, hey, Stop looking at a guy like this quarterback and thinking that I'm going to move on from him just because it seemed like Pete was really in his corner. Right. Maybe I'm in his corner, too. Maybe yeah. I like that guy, too. No one enters this building unless I co-sign. Exactly. He um, he let his, his presence uh, be known in that clip. Like, yes, there are – and here's the reality of, of the situation when it comes to evaluating players and going to bat for your guys. At some point, somebody had to say, okay, Gino's our guy, mm-hmm. or this is why Gino shouldn't be our guy, and John and Pete have to come together and figure out if they want to go forward with Gino or not. So at the end of the day, yes, anybody who's on this team is a John Schneider, Schneider guy. Um, did Were there situations where he, him and Pete had to go back and forth and he had to sell Pete on a guy or Pete had to sell him on a guy? I'm sure that happened. But I also think that because they worked together so long and, and, and so well that – there are some times where they just finish each other's sentences and be like, you know what, this is exactly why I like the guy. It makes sense. Let's move on. We don't have to get too deep in the film when it comes to that guy. And there are situations where you have to sell. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that um, John understands that it starts and ends with him, but he's also going to take the input from his coaches because they are the guys who have to coach these guys, who have to put them in their philosophies and their schemes and, and make it work and make them execute. Um, I mean, John, man, it, when you're in the game 14, 15 years, there's not too much you haven't seen. There, there's not too much that you are concerned about when it comes to your process. Now it's all about just learning this new coaching staff and understanding what type of players they're looking for. And I guarantee you, John, be like, this is the type of player you're looking for? Boom. I have the, the perfect guy for you. Let's, let's watch the film on this guy and tell me what you think. Okay, we mentioned there were two signs pointing to a potential rookie quarterback and two that aren't. We went over one for each. Let's get to another layer here. One sign that they're not going to bring in a, a rookie quarterback, how about keeping Juno Smith on the roster, right. kicking in $12.7 million in fully guaranteed salary? That's one sign pointing to them not moving on from Gino, And yet, something to consider, mm-hmm. a sign pointing to the fact that they could is t- cut 23, this from Brady Henderson. 
So from what I understand, Geno Smith's contract has what are called offsets in there, mm-hmm. meaning if, if he gets cut and he signs with another team, the amount that he signs for could potentially reduce what the Seahawks would owe him uh, you know, in terms of like what would be dead money. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's one other option here that we didn't talk about, which is, or I guess it would be a, a part of, of one of those options, is they actually wait until after this February 16th date to where his salary becomes guaranteed, and then they could cut him. And then, you know, based on whatever he signs for and based on the exact wording of the offset language, you know, they could what they owe him of that twelve point seven million part of that could potentially be reduced by what he gets from another team. Obviously, the the gamble there is you don't know what his market is going to look like. Could go either way. still. Yeah. That, and that's a great safety net to have. Right. Yeah. All right. If we cut this guy, depending on what this other team does, they'll have to eat some of that contract. The only and again, I, it's it's just so hard for me to see them moving on from Gino. But we have to explore those possibilities. Right. Um, the thing that makes me think in that scenario that they would keep Gino is because who's going to hit the market, man. You got Justin Fields who's going to be out there. You got Kirk Cousins who's trying to work out a deal with the Vikings. Everyone's saying Russell Wilson ain't going to be with, with the Denver Broncos mm-hmm. next year. Mm-hmm. You got to look at the market. If we just go off of those three quarterbacks, Gino would be fourth, and that's not including any other possibility that could happen. So the likelihood of a team signing Gino for a bunch of money or near what their contract uh, offer was or is, is just not likely to me. But you do have to explore that scenario because we never know what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, that's a great safety net for them to have, man. But I wouldn't roll the dice on that just because of the, the quarterbacks who are going to be available. That's how I feel, too. Uh, well, we aren't going to ask Ryan Grubb whether or not he'd keep Gino. I know that some of you were disappointed by that. It's just not ultimately his call. However... We have lots of questions to ask him about his offensive philosophy, transitioning from college to the pros, the type of quarterback he'd love to work with, and more. It's not too late for you to get one or two questions in if you want to send them. 866-979-3776. New Seahawks offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb joins us next.